0: W media.
1: Oh, my God, Stephen, I forgot how it goes. <hurricanes sometimes loopy yapıyor> yeah, that's it, Yes. <tablespoons> Ow, wow. That was terrible, Steven. um, Once again, as always, you were off. Was it cool that I did the cool little air guitar at the end?
2: Wow. I don't know
1: if it was cool as much as it was Caucasian. I'm not sure. I don't think you know when to use air quotes. That's (laughs) what my daughter says all the time. I'm not sure. I feel like I'm doing it right, though. No? We had just little bunnies going all over (laughs) Little bunny, foo-foo, hopping through. That was such... A horrific song to sing as little kids.
2: You remember that? What, what, it, I know that the rabbit gets hit in the head.
1: No. It's little bunny foo-foo hopping through the forest, picking up the field mice and bopping them on the head. Oh. What? So the rabbit's
2: just murking mice.
1: The rabbit's just out there, just grabbing poor little field mice, just trying to go get a little piece of cheese for the little baby mice. And he's out there like, word, son. Biddy, biddy, That's all, folks. And just snatching them up. Bam. Punch him in the head and just rolling out, and gets
2: a theme song. Who wrote the anthem? I, I I think I have a theory that rabbits have a very good PR team because they used to be like food. Like everybody used to eat rabbit, and then they just like. Do you remember Oregon Trail? You ate rabbits and squirrels like crazy. True,
1: I remember Oregon Trail. That was like the first video game. Oof! How? Oh god! You played in a computer lab. Yes, I played in computer lab and it was it's like the most mayonnaise video game that ever exists. White people in a in a wagon, a covered wagon, traveling through the Arctic tundra to try Mm -hmm. to get
2: It's the Oregon Trail. The Oregon Trail goes from Oregon down to St. Louis.
1: Right. But it felt like I was always I always ended up in some sort of blizzard and died. I never Mm -hmm. made it through.
2: Like I always ended up frozen, starving, and dead. And you never had the option to eat the other people like the Dahmer party. You didn't have that option,
1: yeah. But yeah. luckily, you also didn't have the option to actually be black because then they would have just taken you back to your slave owner. Like, right. what, what are you doing <laughs> out here, nigga? Out of this Oregon Trail. Like, that would have been, it would have been a very uncomfortable Oregon Trail. That, yeah, that was
2: like one <laughs> really, really would have been terrible the game and you're making it through, then the highest difficulty level is black.
1: Right. Yeah. Which and it's just you running barefoot. That's that's all that it is trying (laughs) to find squirrels and pigeons, probably trying to not go to Oregon. Like that's you're trying like, how do I get to New York? Like, is there any way? Where is East? Has anyone seen Harriet? Like it's. Yeah. That video game was racist, I feel like.
2: Yeah, it was it was a it it was about a time span that was.
1: That was just terrible for a whole group of people. But white folks thriving. They're just like, okay, we killed all those engines. Now let's divide up the land and here's how we'll do it. Let's stand on the line and you just run and get to a spot first. And if
2: you get there first, it's yours. You know, they literally did that in certain places. Um, (laughs) And then and then all under the guise of Manifest Destiny. That that, doesn't
1: feel legal. It it doesn't feel... That doesn't feel legal.
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't. But then most of them went out for the gold rush. Did you, do, you, do you know much about the gold rush?
1: Um, the only thing I know about the gold rush is that when I was little, I used to think that I, was, I would find gold in the creek that was down the hill from my house. <laughs> How many
2: times did you find fool's gold and then oh. show it to somebody? And then they were like, that's fool's gold. And like, that's just very that's very mean to say to a child, like you're an idiot. Like you're, you're yeah. even thinking that that's gold. Yeah.
1: Many times uh, that happened many times. And every single time I thought that person was an idiot. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're the fool. This is real gold. <laughs> what a moron. Never heard of the gold rush. Like that was, <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
2: how, how are things, how are things with you? Where, where are you doing? What are you up to? Um,
1: what am I up to? I am um, coming out of a pretty deep depression. Uh, and so now I've been productive. I've been getting out and taking care of things that have been on my to-do list for a while. And so now I've decided to starting tomorrow, I'm going to get up and out of my house and go find, um, and I'm going to go find, (laughs) You're, you're one of our guests is making me laugh <laughs> you're so Steven's, I'm going to blow it, Steven's desperate to tell everyone he's in Puerto Rico and that's why he's, that's the only reason that he's asking about my day <laughs> no, no, no that's
2: not, we're not going to even talk about it we're not going to talk about the fact that I'm in Puerto we're Rico we're not
1: now because I've already blown I've, I've blown the lead so now I've done it I've, I've said it, I've given I've given away your surprise Steven's in, in Puerto Rico having a great time <laughs> alright, I'm so sorry Steven, I'm better than that, that was very petty no, no, no
2: Let's talk about your depression.
1: Let's, let's. <laughs> no, let's. I'm in Puerto Rico. Let's just talk about your sadness. Let's just, <laughs> let's just. <laughs> but I'm in Puerto Rico while we talk about your depression. Um, you're such a dick. Uh, but yeah, so I decided to, starting tomorrow, I'm going to get up, get my computer, and go out of the house and write. I feel like being out and around the sun will make me more productive. So we're going to see because I'm way behind on writing my book, like, way way
2: so far embarrassingly behind i've been i've been writing so like the weather's starting to get better in new york and so like i've been writing at but the- you're in puerto rico okay go okay. ahead but we don't want to talk about that i i don't that's not what i want to talk about at all i was not fishing for that but i am in puerto rico you're tan from puerto rico okay go ahead sorry but i've been i've been writing at the park and i like realized that i i don't know how to deal with people because I was sitting by the playground writing by the park and, like, didn't realize that that was odd until (laughs) parents started swooping their kids up off the playground because there's a masked man just sitting at the playground jotting notes feverishly as he's, like, looking up at children. And And then I have a mustache on top of that, and it's just not a good time to be writing at the playground anymore.
1: That mustache is definitely like you can. So even with a mask, they could feel that a mustache was (laughs) under that. They're like, "Mm, that's a mustachioed man. I'm very certain that beneath that mask, he's sweating profusely, looking at children and writing. No, that dude's definitely
2: got a mustache underneath that. Like when somebody has a bikini and there's like a little bit of hair poking out the side, I've got the same thing with my mask. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a
1: nightmare hellscape. I'm going to need that to never happen. That's more offensive than... So, do you have any more light, or is it dark there in Puerto Rico? No, no, like, I don't it.
2: understand. It. And honestly, it looks okay on Twitch, but this is the best I've got right now.
1: Oh, it looks terrible here, but you know, fuck me. Um, so, I'm very <laughs> excited about... Our, don't Ray told me not to hear shame. Okay, whatever. I'm so excited about our guests coming on. I'm gonna have everyone introduce themselves for no specific reason, just because everyone's name is perfect and I pronounce them all perfectly. But I think it's better if everyone just says their own names, um, even though I pronounce everyone's names perfectly. Right. But I'm so excited because one of the guests is my sister, Ray Freeman, who is always backstage um, giving me shit, so I'm excited to have her on so that I can repay the favor in front of all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Team Tiki and Mother Lab coming to the stage in three, two, What? Okay, no. Nope. Okay, I ran out of breath. Um, and Jared, our engineer, is <laughs> asleep apparently. So we're just gonna look at that screen, uh, and listen to my dulcet tones in my voice. Um, there we go. Hey, there we are. Boom! 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 All right, um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to shout you guys out. I'm going to have you introduce yourselves one by one. Here's what I would like for each of you to do, OK? Um, for Ndidi and Ray, specifically, if when you introduce yourselves, um, say your name, who you are and what orga- organization you with you're with, and what your org does. And then you, the other three ladies, if when you guys introduce yourselves, can you please just state um, what you do what organization you're with and what you do within that organization. Everybody cool? Awesome. Indeedy, I'm going to start with you because I pronounce your name perfect every time.
4: Good evening, everyone. My name is Ndidia Maka. I'm an associate professor at Tufts University in the School of Medicine. Um, And I am the proud founder and director of the Mother Lab. And I have three of my Mother Lab members here tonight. Mother Lab stands for the Maternal Outcomes from Translational Health Equity Research Lab. And we are training and developing a next generation of maternal health scholar activists. So we have students from undergrad, master's, PhD, MD programs who are going to go out into the world and address maternal health disparities in Black women. Wow and i'm the principal investigator of two um large studies multi-year studies focused on reducing maternal health in black women thank you for having me
1: oh my god thank you for being we're honored to have you here No, we need to thank you thank you indeedy whose name i pronounce exquisitely each and every time coming up next ray if you could please introduce yourself hi i'm don't be pretentious okay go ahead Hi,
0: I'm Ray Freeman, Frankie's a little
1: sister. Older, older. You better stop with the lies. Okay, go ahead. I'm Frankie's sister first.
0: Um, I also am the captain of Team Tiki, which races to save Black lives. Um, We raise money to support, to keep Black women healthy during childbirth.
1: Excellent. Um, I pronounced your name perfectly as well. Uh, but if you know who I'm talking about, if you would just introduce <laughs> yourself, please. Of course. Hi. Thank I'm you. A- yes. Woo! Even though I pronounced it perfectly the last time I said it. Okay.
5: Yeah. I'm Sivetchi I'm a second year student at Tufts University, and I'm also with the Mother Lab. I co-chair our marketing committee along with Paige, who is also on the call. And I'm also a member, of part of our research lab, uh, sorry, research committee. Awesome.
1: Thank you, Shibacha. Paige, you go, and if you could go next, that'd be great.
3: Yeah. So, hi, my name is Paige Fiog. I'm a junior at Wellesley College, and I'm also part of Mother Lab, and I'm the coach of the marketing communications team along with Shibacha.
1: Awesome. Oman, oh, am I pronouncing that correctly?
6: Um, almost. Uh, I'm Iman. Iman, I I I mean, oh, oh,
1: sorry. I think you pronounced it wrong. It's actually Elman because I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
6: (laughs) I pronounce names perfectly every
1: time. (laughs) My bad. Hi, (laughs) Iman. I'm so sorry, Iman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you're. <good. laughs> but what happened is Stephen told me how to pronounce your name, and so he actually is the one that got it wrong with his yeah. Caucasian mouth. So my my apologies. My bad again.
6: I believe you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's so believable. <laughs> <laughs>
6: So um, I'm a junior at Tufts University, I'm majoring in biology and community health, and I'm the co-chair of Community Engagement Advocacy and Policy, part of the Amazing Mother Lab, run by our very own Dr. Ao. Yay!
1: Okay, so I am beyond excited to have you here. Um, I'd like to first address the elephant in the room Ray, bitch! You didn't tell me we were doing makeup. Like, what the hell? Like, you're like, oh yeah, I'm coming on your. You've been on the. You've been backstage so many times, looking regular AF, and now you're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm logging in right now. Oh, I gotta go. I have to go put the baby down. I got. You were going to do do face. You didn't even say, hey, BT Dubs, I'm gonna be in full face. Please do. I look like a before picture. This isn't okay.
0: Okay. First of all, you know, anytime that there's a camera on, I'm gonna be in makeup.
1: Yeah, I did know that, but that's I was... That's just a thing. I thought everybody did that. I'm sorry. You know what? Save your sorrys. But I'm so excited to have you guys here. Um, this is a cause that's near, obviously near, very near and dear to my heart um, for a multitude of reasons. I recently had a horrific experience in the hospital, unrelated to childbirth, at the same time, still intersecting with a lot of the issues that surround the reasons why Black women have a higher mortality rate in childbirth, Um, so, but I would, the way that I would love to start, Ray, if you would tell us why um, Team Tiki, how that came to be, and then how you got connected to um, Dr. Ndidi, and then once you're, you wrap, Dr. Ndidi, if you could please tell us um, about the birth of Mother Lab, that'd be great. So,
0: Team Tiki is actually named after a friend, a family friend of ours um, named Itika Smith, who passed away in 2017 after giving birth to her fourth child in the hospital. And I was at the hospital with her and I was telling the nurses that something seemed off. I had no idea that women still died in childbirth. And had I known that at the time, I would have advocated more strongly and I would have made different decisions And so we decided to start this adventure racing team also because there are no people of color adventure racing. There are a few. There's a handful of us, but also to bring awareness to the sport of adventure racing and also, most importantly, to raise money um, with the research that Mother Lab does. So
1: um, I have a question. Um, If you had known about the higher mortality rate that Black women experience, uh, so I'm I'm trying to phrase this properly because so I'm not trying to. My goal isn't to be. I don't want to seem like I'm sounding accusatory. I'm not. Right. I'm just wondering. Realistically, was there something that could have? Was there more the hospital could have done to save Tiki? Do you get what I, Do you get what I'm asking?
0: Yeah, I do. Right.
3: Um,
1: I like, and I
0: my statistics are slightly off, but I know the percentage is very. It's avoidable, and uh-huh. what I was witnessing while I was at the hospital. Uh-huh. is all these monitors going off and her young son who was in the hospital with her was just turning the monitors off. I told the nursing staff that she referred to me in the third party. She's like, Oh, did you see these flowers that Desi brought me to me? And she right. is odd. And she kept right. after her feet were hot. Like, oh. and she's very, you know, she's a very pleasant person. Like I've been at the hospital after all of her births, this behavior to me seemed off i had no idea that it could lead to
1: death right she
0: was gonna die it just was nowhere on my radar right right so i think i mean shoulda coulda woulda and i always think that there's more that i could have done but i i do think that like i've been in the labor room three times after that and i'm like listen this is what happened we're not going to repeat that here today i want every you know precaution taken i want someone to be here, and I want people to be held accountable. If something doesn't seem right, then it's not
1: right. It's not. So, and, I guess he, here's my question though. So, because I think this is very, very important to break down, is uh, are all of the signs and symptoms that she experienced and what that was connected to? Do you get what I'm saying? So, if, if someone else is in a birthing room or in the aftercare room with their friend, partner, whomever, and they hear similar things like what you experienced, they can know, oh, my partner's feet are warm. That's a sign of blah 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 blah. Do you get what I mean? Is there any connectivity that way? I don't know. Doctor Nidi would probably be the person to answer those oh, excellent.
0: questions. But I, 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 like in hindsight, I feel like I should have. I would have had better instincts now. Is what I'm saying. And I think that because people don't know, that right. Even I, like maternal mortality in DC is epidemic. Like it's right. insane. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I didn't like my grandmother. Grammy is always like, "Oh, you going to the hospital? Be careful. You know, make sure everybody's this." And I thought she's, you know, she's old. So I'm like, right. women this, don't change. Change.
1: this is a yeah. yeah. It's 2021. Right. Yeah,
0: women don't die, but we do.
2: Right, and black women know, die at much higher rates. An basically. alarming rate. Yeah, I know that as as developed countries go, the U.S. has a much higher mortality rate in childbirth than than most, and and I know that it's higher with, uh, women of color. It's what I guess, and and this is, I guess, directed at you, Dr. Ayo. Um, what do we attribute that mortality rate to in the U S and what do we attribute that mortality rate to with women of color specifically?
1: We're, are we talking about women of color or black women? That's what I was going to say,
4: black women, because when you get it <laughs> by race, you can tell a different story. First of all, Ray, I'm so sorry for your loss. Frankie, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank um,
3: you
4: so much. Yeah, my heart really goes out to you. And people ask me all the time why I do this work. I've also experienced two personal losses, two preventable maternal mortality cases. One, when I was a teenager, a friend of mine um, had just delivered her daughter. She was 15 years old. I grew up in Trinidad. <sighs> And um, she died from preventable complications of lupus because she was, you know, the hospital was not prepared to handle her. Um, And I think a lot of times uh, um the... place of birth and place of delivery really plays an outcome as well. And then I had a, a loss as an adult, um, Dr. Shalon Irving, to her, received national attention. She and I did our postdoc together. We worked together in Baltimore for two years, cubicle by cubicle. Um, and she had always wanted to be a mother. And I remember I was so excited for her when we found out that she was pregnant and she died from preventable complications um, in the postpartum period. So what we know about maternal mortality in Black women in this country is that, like Stephen said, the rates are actually increasing. The United States is actually one of very few developed countries where our rates are getting worse. It's not That's for- That's
1: despicable. Like, That's disgusting. Yeah,
4: it's, it's really, I mean, there's really no scientific way to justify it other than the impact of racism on, in the healthcare system. The mm-hmm. way that Black women are received in the healthcare system, the way that Black women are perceived, the lack of sense of urgency, the dismissiveness of Black women's symptoms. Um, and so there's, this, there, there's a whole system that kind of does not prepare Black women to give birth in this country, or does not support the delivery of labor for Black women. Um, and I'm thinking, I always like to start off with the historical context because I think the historical context really grounds us in the disparities that we see today. And so when you think about the way that black women's bodies have been received in this country, even historically through enslavement, black women were treated as slaves and we're here for the procreation and the selling of their children ultimately. And we know that a lot of the gynecological techniques that we enjoy today, when we go for our annual exam, a pap smear, the use of a speculum, these devices and techniques were perfected on the bodies of black enslaved women. Mm-hmm. in particular, Betsy, Lucy, and Anarka. And so I think what these women sacrificed with their bodies going through these horrible procedures with no anesthesia, no consent, um, mm-hmm. because even then and now, physicians think that Black women have higher thresholds of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You pick up an average medical journal or talk to a second or third year medical student, and they're probably going to tell you that Black people have higher thresholds of pain. The, mm-hmm. the system of medicine is inherently racist. And right. so Mm -hmm. black women entering into a system that is not designed historically or now to support us in labor and delivery and then you meet that with the racism we call it implicit bias i personally call it explicit racism Mm -hmm.
3: hello say that one more time
4: please well, the field calls it implicit bias, but I call it explicit racism because what we're hearing in the story of Team Tyche, what we're hearing in the story of Dr. Shalon, what we're hearing so many stories, the woman we just lost in Indiana, Dr. Shanice Wallace, the pediatric resident who died at the hospital that she's training at, right? That was like two months ago. Um, what we heard in the case of Dr. Susan Moore, the physician who died from COVID at the hospital that she worked at, right, is there, there's a dismissiveness of symptoms and and the urgency when it comes to Black women. We almost lost Serena Williams, a global...
1: Okay. Global. A national, an international global, treasure.
4: Global. How embarrassing, and what type of permanent stain would that have been on the mark of America? Because of the racist system. She went and talked mm-hmm. to the nurse and said, oh, you're tired, you're confused, you should go lay down. She had to push and push and push mm-hmm. to get that CT scan, which they found a huge blood clot yep. her lung that would have killed her. Yeah, right. And so I think the system is not designed for Black women to give birth.
1: It's not designed for us to do anything. I'm sorry, go
4: ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I just wanna give a shout out to the people that support Black women in the birthing process, right? Shout out to my midwives, shout out to doulas, shout out to partners, because we really, it takes a whole village to get Black women through the process. Mm -hmm. And Ray, I can only imagine the trauma that you saw Mm -hmm. when you're there and you're figuring out that things are not going right. You're looking at the monitors, you're looking at your friend and you're like, there's something wrong with this system and the dismissiveness, the lack of urgency in responding in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. When a woman starts to develop complications in labor and or delivery or postpartum, this is literally a matter of minutes and seconds what we're talking about here. And so I'll talk more about the research we're doing in a minute, but there are a set of bundles called maternal safety bundles that hospitals can implement to make sure that these life-saving procedures are put into place. So I'll talk about the research in a minute, but it, it just, the long and the short of it is historically and now the systems are not designed to support Black birthing people in labor and delivery. The urgency is not there. The dismissiveness is there. They come to the rooms little, if at all, during labor and delivery. They don't make eye contact. They want to put your people, your doulas, oh, go sit down in a corner, right? It's just like, these are people, that's our village. (laughs) We need our doulas. We need our midwives. We need our family members to support us. And the system, which has been exacerbated by COVID, that's a whole nother level of disparities. Mm -hmm. Um, The system was not designed to support Black women in birth.
1: Ray, yeah, I want to apologize. I don't. I hope I didn't come off like I was putting the onus on on you no, in no, any way. No. Okay, no, that's no, not no. at all what I was where I was coming from. What I was really trying to drive at was: is were there any signs that you saw that you can relay to people watching that we can look out for? So I'm going to ask you, Doctor Ndidi, are are there any like telltale kind of markers if you're with someone who's giving birth and you you notice oh the I see these things happening this is urgent, I need to get help.
4: Absolutely. So one of the most common complications that we think about are maternal hemorrhage. So if a woman starts to bleed out, right, if you, if like, in labor and delivery, you're going to lose blood, right? So you can estimate the blood loss, but if you see a woman is bleeding out more than like a pad per hour, so for instance, she's in postpartum, now she should be changing a pad. If she's changing a pad more than once an hour, that's too much blood loss, okay? Mm -hmm. So you're monitoring how many pads she's changing in that postpartum period. You're monitoring, did the placenta fully come out? Was it removed? Did she completely dispel the placenta? You're checking the blood pressure. This hypertension as a sign of preeclampsia is very, very, very dangerous so how is the blood pressure looking is it is it within a normal range is it spiking does she have a sensitivity to light that's also a really clear telltale sign of preeclampsia is she having headaches and complaining of headaches is there any swelling or edema Around the limbs, these are oh some of the things God. that are really, really critical. If you can notice and get on top of it, you can try to reverse it. And if it's caught early enough, it can be reversed and treated. So those that those are some of the things that come to mind: the bleeding, the level and the frequency of the blood loss, and then the, the um, headaches, the swelling, and then the sensitivity mm-hmm. to light. Those are just some of the most common ones.
0: She had severe, severe edema in both legs, like even leading up to the pregnancy. If I said you, I mean, huge. I was mortified at the girl, OB, yes, the OBG had her walking around with her ankles. Like I was just even before labor. And is it different for a C-section because she? I don't know. No, she she had a C-section. Is it the same symptoms that you're looking out for?
4: Yeah, C-section is. Can I just say two seconds about C-section? How please, girl, hear?
0: preach it, please.
4: I just, I just hate C-sections unless mm-hmm. medically necessary. Exactly. We like to cut in this country, but I had my son in April, 2019 unmedicated, uncomplicated birth, right? They were trying to give me an epidural. They were trying to give me everything but time. (laughs) I was like, get out of my room, right? And I'm going to do this my way, right? I'm calling my grandmother. My mother, my grandmother was a village midwife in Nigeria, right? And I'm like, I need you right now. And she got me through, through breathing. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I got through my labor and delivery just with breathing, timing my breathing. But what I'm saying about these C-sections Women need, let me tell you something, a female body is designed to do exactly what it needs to do. Everything on us is functional. The uterus knows what to do. The cervix knows when to open up and a face, right? So if you give the body time, if the fetus, if the baby is not in distress, the cord is not wrapped around the neck, the heart rate is not decreasing, the mom is not in distress, just let her labor it out. Right. Like mm-hmm. just let her labor it out, just give it time. But we're so pressed to do the C-section because the shift is about to change. Or the, yeah. or the attendant wants to go home or they're like, oh, I'm tired of hearing you yelling. Let me just get this baby out. These are not medically necessary reasons. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the complications that you can exacerbate by C-section are huge. C-section is a major surgery. Let's be clear what it is. This is not laparoscopic. This is not cute. This is a major surgery cutting through seven layers of the skin to pull the baby out. So you're you're introducing sepsis, possibly you're introducing infection. You have longer return like um, recovery times, less bonding with the baby. So many complications for C-section. So unless it's medically necessary, we should be reducing it. And let me say this as well: when women are choosing their providers, you should be asking, "What's your C-section rate?" When you go to that first OB visit, uh, are getting that new patient intake? What's your C-section rate? If it's not twenty percent or less, you don't need to be in that provider. That means they're church. too. But that's inside baseball. People don't know to go to ask that in their first, you know what I'm saying? Like, but when I talk to OBs and I talk to colleagues, that is what people should be grading them on. What is your C-section rate? Because I tells them you don't have patients or you're not a skilled physician if you can't let women labor it out, right? Like, c section should only be done medically necessary. So the complications that your friend was experienced pre-C-section are
1: only going to be exacerbated. C-section is not going to help anybody. right. I have a, another question um, so what so someone like me i I had an emergency c section with my daughter. she came twenty four at twenty four weeks, um, and so mine was an emergency situation. If I were to have another child, would I have to have a c section now or can I have a vaginal birth so here 's the thing, and this is where I talked about the field of
4: medicine is, is racist. Up until recently, and depending on the hospital, a lot of physicians would use this VBAC calculator. It's an algorithm that they develop, which incorrectly skews negatively towards black and brown women to say that if you had a c-section in the first birth your likelihood of successful vaginal delivery in the second birth is reduced so the field of medicine we're trying to fight and be like you don't need to be doing this algorithm you need to adjust for race race <laughs> is not the problem it's racism in the medical system uh, Right. And so for you to have a successful vaginal delivery you need to have a conversation with your provider say listen we don't even say c-section word and i remember i had one visit i had been going in to see my doctor she was out on vacation so they sent in the attendant and the attendant was like oh we might have to do C-section." i had a fibroid removed in 2007 okay laparoscopic no complications that was 10 15 like how long ago and she was like well until we get your medical records from your previous institution we have to." i said see what i was like get out of my room i walked her out of my visit we're done here because you're talking (laughs) and so that was a whole big thing oh my gosh i walked her out of my get out of my room you're so quick to talk about a c-section you haven't even looked at and then look like i don't Uncomplicated. I was out of the hospital like this, right? Because my body knows what to do and I had to advocate for myself. So if you want a vaginal delivery after C section, you can have it successfully. Women have it all the time, but they're okay. going to tell you that you should do a C-section because it's going to be easier. You don't necessarily need, unless there's a very pressing medication, yeah. like you have fibroids as huge as your face, right? Right. Something <laughs> is going on, right. Like seriously, because women live with fibroids every day. All of Dr. us. Dr. And Dede, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you
1: off, but did you just tell me right? I have a big head? Is that what you just <laughs> said? Oh. I'm just I like I feel like you slid that in on me. I don't mean to, to interrupt, but I just want to just we could back up to that real quick.
2: You've got a fibroid face.
1: Okay, that's okay. That's, <laughs> that's not what I said. I got a fat fibroid face. Got it. You they know, it's all good. Heart. These are just these are not my these are just technical terms. Okay, you I just I mean. these are these are technical. <laughs>
4: Say unless they're medically necessary.
1: You should be able to have
4: a successful full term vaginal delivery. Okay,
1: that's. I would never recommend a C-section. It was a nightmare hellscape. They literally, because she was one pound, eight ounces. So she was a tiny little thing. They literally took all of my insides and sat them on my chest while they got the baby out. What? And so I, I could feel nothing, right? Because obviously I have a lot of anesthetic in me, right? They're doing surgery. My mother, our mother- is sitting there after kicking everyone out. I did not, my mom, we did not have a good relationship with our mom. Like I did not want her in the room under any circumstances. But anyway, she kicked everyone out, sat in the room with me. And I, and I said, what, what is that? It feels like they're pouring warm liquid on my chest. And my mother, because so, I can't see anything. I have the sheet, right? <laughs> my mother goes, oh my God. Oh my. Now here's the thing, anyone watching. If you're at the bedside of a woman giving birth, keep it chill. At all call. I don't care what's going on. Keep it low key. Don't you want might want to be up here from what you're seeing. She doesn't need to know. Keep it all the way down here. Just keep it down there. So my mom's going, "Oh my god. Oh my god. It's hot. and I'm like, is the baby okay? Like what's? It? She goes, "No. That warm liquid is blood and all of your insides are on your outsides. I could have gone my entire life never knowing that I never needed to know that ever. Did I need to have that information in my brain fast forward to, I want to say like two, three months later and I just feel, I feel not right on the inside, not like sick, but I just feel off. So I call, I call my, I'm going, I'm doing all my appointments and you know, and the doctors are not finding anything wrong. And my doctor's a black man that's been in the medical field for years. Wonderful, wonderful human who I, I absolutely love And um, he's taking great care and, you know, looking for all of the stuff and the things, and there's nothing wrong. So three months in, I'm still feeling strange. So I call him and I say, hey, I feel, and I said, this is going to sound weird, but it feels like my insides aren't in the right place. And he says, oh, they're not. Yeah, it's going to take a while for them to settle back (laughs) where they're supposed to be. We have to take everything out to get the baby out. And then we just kind of slide it back in. You know what I mean? So I would never suggest to anyone to get a C- it, and I'm not, and I know it might sound a little amusing, but it was it was a nightmare. It was a horrible experience. It was awful. And it took probably about a year, really, for my for my insights to really feel like for me to feel settled. And like I and it's a, the strangest feeling. It's not even anything I can describe, but it literally feel the feeling of your intestines and stomach and all the good stuff that's inside here not being in the right place it
2: feels like that (laughs) Can can i ask so in the research that you guys have done i i guess i'd like to hear a little bit more of like the like uh stats and figures but then also like what are some of the what are some of like the actionable insights that like that we can do to change some of this that you're talking about
4: yeah, anybody from Mother Lab, please feel free to chime in. Um, so some of the stats that I can just leave you or start you off with are sixty three percent of maternal deaths are preventable. So that's the large majority of them. Sixty three wow. maternal deaths are preventable.
2: Is that and can I is that are we talking in the United States or globally?
4: Oh, United States. Yeah, okay. 50% of deaths are preventable, maternal-wise. Um, you know, Black women are 243% more likely to experience pregnancy-related complications. Now, that's that, that doesn't knock you out your seat right there. I don't know what...
1: 200- it's disgusting. It's so yeah. despicable. To yeah. be in a country that touts itself as a master of the universe, as a superpower, and to have the te- have access to the technology that we have here... Let's not lie. We have incredible technology. We have advancements far beyond what we even know for that to be the truth. That is an indisputable truth. How dare you America have that statistic? How dare you? I don't, I cannot. Let me tell you that. Let me tell you, let me tell you all this. But when, when my daughter was, she was not one yet. She was probably about, she was in the NICU for eight months july august september october november december sorry for five months so she was probably about eight months old right when she came home she was only eight pounds six ounces at five months right um so she was at like a regular birth rate or birth weight so she had a lot of lung issues um, from being born so early she's perfectly free and clear now but when she was little little she had lung issues so we would travel often with uh, oxygen tanks heart monitors, all of this stuff, right? She came with a lot of baggage, right? Um, she keeps it now in her grief case, but whatever. Um, so one one day I'm driving, um, I'm just going shopping, she and I, and I can hear her <sighs> panting. So anyone that's a parent of a child that has any sort of lung issues, you know when they're a baby and they start, it's called fast breathing. When they start doing that, that's a sign that they're in duress and you need to address it immediately, right? Right. Um, and so I pull over and I check her temperature. She's got a fever accompanied with it. So now I'm panicked. So I'm like, okay. And I'm driving and I see a clinic and they're open. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, we're minutes from here. This is perfect because I'm like 30 minutes from the hospital. Right. So I pull over and I'm crying because I'm freaking out because, you know, she's a little, right. And I'm holding her and I walk into this clinic. There's a white male doctor sitting um, behind the desk for whatever reason, And I said, I said, hi, um, I need, my baby needs to see a doctor. Well, I'm a doctor. And I said, well, I don't have, she's fast breathing. She's a preemie. I give them all the kind of high level basics. Um, And he's like, uh, but I had Medicaid at the time. And he said, we don't take that and I can't help you. And I said, sir, I said, can you please just look at her and tell me just if you think that she's safe for me to even get to a hospital? no. I won't look at her. What kind of human person? I don't give a damn if I was on the street. If I have a medical license and I can assess and diagnose, I don't care if I'm in the grocery store. I don't give a shit if I were in traffic. I don't care where I was, especially if it's an elderly person or an infant, a baby. And I'm going to tell you, no, ma'am, I can't, I'm not, I will not look at your child. This is how the medical industry treats black women It's like this. She'll be fine. You'll be fine. You can get to a hospital.
4: The dismissiveness. And let me tell yeah. you this. So to your question, Stephen, what can we do? We need to push these insurance companies to hold their damn weight. Mm-hmm. Like Medicaid, CMS, who finances the majority of births in this country right? health here in Massachusetts, like they need to get with the program on the reimbursement for doulas, extending postpartum coverage, mm-hmm. taking care of mothers and like really supporting women to get the quality of care they need. What if a woman needs high-risk care, right? What if she needs mm-hmm. a maternal fetal medicine specialist? What if she needs certain medications? Those things need to be covered, right? So you, yeah. you have a, a, individuals operating at a, at a broken level, right? The physicians themselves, the bias that they bring into the clinical encounter they don't want to sit down. They don't want to make eye contact. All this passive aggressive behavior that shows I'm not connecting with you as a human. You mm-hmm. got that level. Then you got the reimbursement level. Like, that's why the guy was like, no, I'm not getting reimbursed. We don't accept that. Then you got the system that's over here financing all these births, but they're not at the table. So, some of that is happening here in Massachusetts. It's slow, it's uphill. But I think we're starting to try to get some traction with these insurance companies who are covering these births. The majority of births are to Medicaid recipients. And so that is very problematic. That high-risk care, that specialized care, that postpartum care, doulas, they're not covered at the rate that they need to be to support Black mothers. And the story that you told, I've heard it 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. It's
1: hard to- I'm sure. Break it. I'm sure. And, and and more to your point in terms of the insurance, I had to advocate to an un- incredible degree to get certain things that she needed to paid for, you know, like her, ox- they weren't going to pay for her oxygen. They didn't want to pay for her nebulizer machine. They didn't want to pay for her therapies. They didn't want to pay. you know what I mean? And I had to fight and, and research and talk to-, through- to my network and get people to help me. But everyone doesn't know to do that. Right. Everyone doesn't know that they can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, once, once an insurance comes like, oh no, we don't pay for that. Most people go, oh, okay. But mm-hmm. I had, you know, enough information mm-hmm. to know that no, 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 no. I can push the issue because she medically needs this to survive. Mm-hmm. So I can, th- you know, fight that fight to get it paid for, but that's, pro- that, I, you shouldn't have to do that.
4: No, you shouldn't have to do that.
1: This, yeah. You should not have to do that. Especially not that's on top of, the stress of just having a baby exactly. or being pregnant or having difficulties with th- difficulties with your pregnancy.
4: You know what I mean? Yeah. You shouldn't have to do that. When you said that you, you were walking around with an oxygen tank and, and a nebula, I was like, I'm like, how does she get that paid for? That was the first thing I thought
1: about when you said that. Cause I'm
4: like, that's not on the menu of options. It's not on the menu. It's
1: 0% on them. That was phone calls, letters. email. I am a very ask my, when I want to get something done, if I need a thing, Oh, it's getting done. It's going. To, yeah, it's going to be done. It's going to be done properly. And, and yeah, and you're going to be accountable. But everyone doesn't have that. You know what I mean? Everyone doesn't know to do that. Everyone doesn't have a support system. Because in addition, if I'm not getting what I need, I can call Ray. Right. You know what I mean? And she's going to go in her bag. I was just in the hospital and they were treating me poorly. And she was like, nah. Put me on FaceTime with the doctor right now. We're going to cuss everybody out and get them all gathered and together. And they treated me horribly. I have injuries to my arms from when I was an infant and had uh, cut downs. And, you know, to an untrained eye, it could look like a track mark. But to anyone in the medical profession knows what that is. It's a, from a medical procedure. But one of the phlebotomists that was coming in to try to access an IV says to me, you probably have an easy time getting to your, what do what, you what say? You probably have an easy time getting your veins when you're at home. Oh my so, God. To me, said that not- to me. Girl. <clears throat> what does that, What you can only mean one thing. You can see my chart. You know, I'm not in here for diabetes or any other illness that requires that I stick myself with a needle. So what you're saying to me is that I'm a drug user, a hypodermic drug user. That's what you're saying to me. Mm-hmm. While I'm in here in pain, that's beyond uh, incredible amounts of pain and i'm enduring that pain without any sort of medication because you can't get an iv in my arm Mm. after i've already told you when i first got here i'm a poor stick you might want to get someone from the nicu after sticking me 20 something times not even exaggerating and i can show you i'll post the the pictures of the bruising on my arms uh gross bruising dark purple bruising on both of my arms right after doing that 20 times guess what they did Got a NICU nurse to come up, and she got it, He got it first shot. Oh. Why, didn't, why didn't you do that when I when I asked you to and told you from the get go? Because this is how they how black women are treated is like this. I'm sorry, I know this is a
2: mood point, but I just ignorant. What is what is NICU?
1: Oh, neonatal intensive care unit. So it's where baby. It, yes, yeah, it's a baby ICU. Did gotcha. you report your case
4: to the um, um, hospital QI board?
1: I, I did. Um, they haven't really followed up and I've been, i am now feeling better. So I will now after having this conversation, mm-hmm. go back to them and, and follow up with this, but I was, uh, you know, and, and Ray can speak to this too. I, I, I almost died with what happened to me. I have, um, diverticulitis and I was close to sepsis. I had a, a hole in my intestines And which I, I knew when I got, I told them what was going on when I got, anyway, they just, it wasn't properly, I wasn't properly treated. I was released too early. And when I came home, I was still very, very sick. Um, Ray had to come over and like, take care of me. Like it was, it wasn't, it was a whole, a bad situation. Mm. And it took about three weeks for me to really actually feel better. And the reality of being that close to dying, um, just that's what sent me into a depression. When I said earlier that I was really depressed, it was that whole experience so th- I was very excited for this show because people need to know what's happening. You know, it's, it is, uh, you know, at an alarming rate in the maternity, in the area of maternity, but in just in the healthcare industry, black women, the way black women we're, that were treated is unacceptable. It's beyond the pale and it's, it, it needs to be a way out in the light and we all need to know, and we need to be working to eradicate it because it's, it's scary. I what was sick at home for three weeks because I was terrified to go back to the hospital. Mm. Terrified. Ray was like, do you, you know, do you want me to come get you? I'll, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't. I'm scared to go back to the hospital. I'm honestly scared to go back.
0: I'm so sorry. Uh, Dr. You know? Do you have a checklist of questions or, or things that people can look out for when they go to the hospital? And if you do have that, where can people reach it or where can people find it? Because I feel like people don't know. Mm
3: -hmm. They think it doesn't
0: happen now because I'm saying that because I didn't think that it was something that happens now, you know? And
1: also too, people don't, they, they, we go with what the doctor tells us. Oh no, you're fine. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. And we're like, Oh, I'm fine. Okay, cool. But you have an aneurysm that they're completely missing or whatever's going on.
4: Right. I don't have a checklist, but we can definitely put one together. Oh, that would be (laughs) great. Yes.
0: Yes. And we can use it on our races because it's really something that I really want to have something to tell people like 60 mm-hmm, percent mm-hmm. are preventable yeah I would, I would really love to have some like can we make one one.
1: a series of infographics for like I instagram will,
0: yeah yeah percent.
5: we actually do that um our marketing marketing committee every month we have a theme on black maternal health and reproductive health in general and we every single week or every other day we post information on like Based on real research that's been done, interventions that have been done. Recently, this month we're working on telemedicine and telehealth related to COVID-19 and uh, black maternal al- outcomes. So if you follow at Mother Lab on Instagram, we have Twitter at Mother Lab20. We have a LinkedIn group, we have Facebook group, we have our regular website. You're actually seeing the website in the back um, of oh, perfect. our screens. Uh, if you go to motherlab.org, every piece of information we've gathered is on there. We have a repository. Of current information on regular maternal health, um, as well as interventions as well. So you can visit our website, and we've also linked Team Tiki on the website as well as our. Hey. So- yeah, <laughs> I love that. I just need you- like a checklist. We will definitely. <laughs> that's a great idea, and I think that's really necessary um, to do as well.
1: Awesome. When you post it, can you tag nonprofits and then yes, we can share course. it? For
3: sure. Awesome. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I just wanted to build off of what uh, Dr. Ayo was saying on the importance of outreach, advocating, and empowering these women during motherhood um, and after they give birth. Uh, For instance, like we did... uh, we pushed for the policy H-4818, and it definitely, without advocating and pushing and making calls and emailing Governor Baker, it wouldn't have happened. And all we were asking for was establish establishing a legislative committee to acknowledge and address racial health equities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it definitely makes a difference. And I think educating, and even we have a lot of students and health professionals and physicians and Um, a lot of uh, individuals from academia on all of our social pages but especially students they are the future health professionals Mm -hmm. and they're the future of our country so educating them will definitely create a long-term impact
2: and are these all are these all bills that are only a state-by-state level or are these uh is is any of this can any of this be changed at a federal level
4: two things um the bill that iman is right Referencing um, that the Mother Lab, I, I'm just going to go out and say that the advocacy work of the Mother Lab got this thing over the hump because the bill was introduced by Rep Miranda here in Massachusetts. Shout out to Rep Miranda from Roxbury. And she is an, an early um, early rep in the House. And so she developed this bill to develop a commission here to address maternal health disparities in Black women. Okay, she got it through the House. A couple of us helped to write it, helped to craft the bill. Shout out to Tamori McQueen, Necker Hall. Like a couple of us really helped her get this. Through the house, then it gets to the Senate in Massachusetts. They're trying to kill the bill because the language says that the the commission should be disproportionately staffed and led by Black and Brown women, which is where the disproportionate burden is lying. They didn't like the language. They tried to kill it in the Senate. Yeah, that's Massachusetts politics. They tried to kill it in the Senate. And so we finally got it out of the Senate. Okay, cool. And then it had to go to Governor Baker's desk. And the governor was like dragging his feet. And so I was like, oh no, honey, Mother Lab got on that advocacy. We were calling, (laughs) blowing him up. And he signed it on January 13th. And we actually, this morning, today, just had our first meeting of the commission. And it's about 25 of us appointed to this year-long commission. You have people like me, public health researchers. You have doulas. You have midwives. You have people with lived experience, you have fathers, husbands, partners, you have tons of clinicians, OBs, um, MFMs, and it's co-chaired by um, someone in the House and someone in the Senate. And so our goal this year is to advance the work that we're talking about here. What's going to be on our docket, our platform as commissioners, focusing on doula reimbursement. That's what I'm pushing because I'm like, doulas are a clutch and they are a core part of the care team. Um, also getting better data. Our maternal mortality review committee is backed up for the state because they don't have enough money to review maternal. Uh-huh. Deaths. Not that we have a ton. Massachusetts is not. Mississippi, or you know, we're not Texas, but we the ones that we have, we should be looking into them and seeing what's going on. The review committee should not be backed up because of lack of
1: staffing and funding, right? So, do you some- think it's a lack? I'm sorry, a quick question about that. Do you think it's a lack of funding? Or do you think like with most problems, when it's not affecting white women, they're not going to allocate funds and money and time and people to it?
4: That part, (laughs) that part, because for me, I just I'm like, why is our review committee reviewing cases from 18, 2017, 2018? Mm-hmm. That's not going to help us. We need current data now. So there's right. a key things that we need to push. Um, and so that commission that almost got killed in the Senate, almost got killed at the governor's office, just is finally coming together. So today we had our first meeting and um, I'm really looking forward to us doing some good work in this state because I'm like Massachusetts likes to rest on its laurels or wear health care Mecca. We have these great facilities, blah, blah, blah. And that's not necessarily the case, right? Like, if you disaggregate a lot of our disparities by race, you'll see that we're not doing as good as we think we are when it comes to Black
1: women and other women. So. Who th- I'm sorry, does someone think we're doing good when it comes to Black women? A lot of people think, well, they think oh. we're doing good overall. <laughs> okay, so I'm just... by race. <laughs> I'd like to know who thinks that <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and where they're getting their info from. <laughs> um, is there anything in... In the in universe, in at the university level, when you're studying medicine, that talks about this specifically. Is there anything baked into the curriculum about racism within the medical community? If not, should there, do you think there should be?
4: You know, that's a, you are really you're on it today, Frankie. Because so I am. I'm a you know I have a doctor a PhD in in public health, and I sit at a school of medicine. Um, I'm one of two black female faculty. In the entire school of medicine. Yeah, it's, it's yes. not. Nice. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, so the short answer is no. They're not taught about racism in right. medical school. But, but, I have to give a shout out to me and two of my colleagues, Dr. Tony Schlaff and Dr. Fernando Ona. When I came to Tufts in 2017, three of us started cooking up. We're like, how can we infuse this anti-racism education mm-hmm. into the curriculum? Because there's such a regiment. You take this block on dermatology, oncology, hematology, like they're pushing mm-hmm. them through like a factory. And so we're like, okay, where can we get this in? So we found a way to develop. I mean, it's a, it's a three week, two and a half hour, like it's a really meaty curriculum. They got pre-test, and we take them through redlining, residential segregation, mm-hmm. context of race. it's really, really good. Our white students are sick. You understand? Yeah. They visibly are ill by the end of this because they're like, "How have I benefited from this privilege?" Yeah, right. Yeah, and our students it's- are kind of like, "All right, tell me something I don't know." So they right, know-
1: right, right, right. It's su- it's, that such, that. An it's yeah. such an interesting. It's such an interesting. The, uh, dichotomy, the relationship, not relationship, but I guess the reaction you have, different ethnicities have when it comes to re- oh. like the, the history yeah. of, like, a lot of people and I, I'm just learning this, that a lot of my white friends don't really, don't actually know right. how deep racism is baked into the fabric of America. They didn't, they're just now coming to that realization and right. I'm like, word we talk about this like four or five years. Like, this is just what we discuss. Right. At the dinner, like, this is normal shit. Like, we've been knowing the cops <laughs> yeah. beating, beating the shit out of black people. We've <laughs> been that. we've been knew that. <laughs>
4: yeah. Frankie, like the, and that's what I told to my college. I'm always, I didn't mean, when I come into the faculty, like, oh, here come Dr. D again. I'm always, <laughs> them out, not crazy, Professionally, diplomatically, eloquently, given right. because I'm like, y'all don't have we cannot sit back. We are here training the next generation of public health, right? Leaders, and y'all talk about I don't know how to talk about racism. I'm engaged, I mean, yes, yeah, we got it. You got to We got to talk about it. Be uncomfortable. That's mm-hmm. all that's white privilege one on one. Doctor, and how you want to engage? We don't. I don't. You think I got that luxury of one or two black faculty in the whole school of medicine? Right? No,
1: no. Okay.
4: So the fact that you get to figure out how and when to engage is a hallmark of white privilege. Get out of your bubble and get with the program. So, you know, we're trying to we're trying to become an actively anti-racist medical school. We have made a lot of changes. I mean, Brianna Taylor and George Floyd kind of pushed everybody off the chair like, "Okay, we can't really hide in this
1: no more. They killed right. people on camera." But well, see, the problem <laughs> with racism is that, is that you know what I that when the when the pandemic hit and we all got locked in our houses, everyone was watching.
6: That's you know what I mean?
1: Right. Everybody. It's like, "Oh, it's like, damn, look, Can we act like we ain't see it? No, No. nigga, we all saw. Like, you know, there was nowhere to be to not see it. I feel like if I'm being honest, I feel like anti-racism courses, classes, education needs to be taught in every school at every level for everyone. This country was literally sewn together with the thread of race. Seriously, it was put together with it was beaten and stolen from the backs of the Natives. And then built off the sweat, blood, and abuse and torture of black people. Exactly. You know what I mean? And 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 there is no way to change that but to completely eradicate it.
4: Exactly. Completely. Exactly. Exactly. So we so that we developed, we've done it with our second and fourth year students. We just wrote up our results. We just got a grant, you know, in the academy, we like our grant so we can publish our data. We just got a grant to do it with three other medical schools. So yeah. now it's, it's in Texas we're training a medical school in New York yes one is going to be in Pennsylvania and then I just got a call last week from a school of nursing we about to train them a school of yes like like put it out there
1: put I mean, it out, be there. out there,
4: there. already been done and at the end of the day all of us are training clinicians who are going to be taking care of people in the next three uh-huh. to four degrees. They need to be very clear on their biases, on their stereotypes, on what they're coming into the clinical encounter, thinking about their patients. And we have to do a better job of what we put in people's charts. When you put somebody non-compliant, you don't know why she didn't come to the appointment. You put like you, like the person comes into the visit with these preconceived notions. Then they don't want to sit down. They stand in the corner. They're looking at the watch. They're rushing you through the visit. No all of that is unacceptable. That's not how you do patient-centered care. Mm Patient-centered care means you develop a relationship of trust, mutual transparency with your patient, And that's why I tell people all the time, like, if you go into a visit, it doesn't feel right. Drop that provider and report them, period. Period. When I first moved to Boston from Jersey, I'm clearly a Jersey girl. When I first moved to Boston from Jersey, I remember I went to a primary care physician in hospital here and a lady checked my blood pressure, basic stuff. Whatever, and um, I was like, "Oh, you know, we want to we want to start our family, we want to have a baby." She asked about no family plan. She the visit was like five minutes. She was like, "See you next." Time. I was like, "We done?" Oh no, you got right, that. yeah. Well, so, you know me, I marched myself over to. <laughs> <laughs> to the qi board and i reported her so she got fired she don't even work there no more i left that whole hospital went to a whole nother hospital i was like how i just told you i'm a black woman of reproductive age and i told you that we want to have a family there is there, the line of questioning the the battery of test she just like checked my blood pressure looked at my ear was like bye like it was so basic that's like, ridiculous
1: this and you took out about- your tongue. Okay, yeah, you good, girl. You all right.
4: You, you alive? Okay, bye. Like, right, <laughs> like, right. No, that's unacceptable care. So we have to hold the medical field accountable for the mm-hmm. way that we're treated. So we do have a curriculum. It's being implemented, and we're trying to expand into other health professions and medical schools.
1: That's amazing. I also, love people it. People should know this, that there are certain questions yes. that doctors are
0: supposed to ask. Like, yes. you think you go, and you think and you, you trust them to ask the right you questions. trust them, Yeah. Yeah, they suck. I, that's another thing I'd like to get a list on, you know, for women who are having babies what who just ask. think, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. what to ask
4: to hold a it down it, And it, 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 some of it is clinical what you ask, but some of it is how they make you feel. Yeah, how they make you feel. We got we got to trust ourselves, like. I'm not checking for nobody. I don't care if you got an MD, PhD, EDD, JD, ABC. (laughs) Mickey D. (laughs) You don't make me feel safe if I'm not feeling like if we not, the energy's not there. I'm not coming back, period. I'm not going to trust you with my care. Now, I do. I will recognize my privilege in that. I have private insurance. I got none but time. I could take the whole day off and see people and report QIs. And I understand that that's privilege baked into that. But I tell people all the time, even if you're on Medicaid, even if you don't feel like you have the agency you can still push you don't have to stay with these providers they make money off mm-hmm. of us they need to serve us just mm-hmm. like the politicians and elected officials they're here for us if we don't go to the doctor they don't have anything to bill for nothing to give reimbursed for that means they have no revenue stream if we don't hold our politicians accountable they're not gonna what do they introduce in the Senate or the Congress? What they do for us nothing. These people work for us. You gotta take back your power. And I tell my students that too. Same thing with professors. Mm-hmm. I get at my people all the time. We're here to train and educate and shepherd you through school. If we're not doing that, you need to hold us accountable. Tufts ain't free. Wellesley ain't free.
1: Okay. And don't, don't diminish your story by saying that you know that you have privilege, Dr. Ndidi, because there was a lot of hard work that you put in to get to the point of privilege. Oh my God. So you know what I mean? So you you are not privileged, you are living comfortably, and the hard work you put in. That's a very different thing. That's different. Oh. I see that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. just leave that sitting right there. So, yeah. Uh, no. and, and and now that the ties are somewhat turning a little bit, I actually do enjoy Black privilege when it flies my way sometimes. Like, I get it, white people. Like, whoop, I wouldn't want to let that shit go either. But exactly. you guys had a great 2021-year run. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take it from here. Uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Whites are the new Negro. So, moving yeah. on. Um, <laughs> we're, we're at Stephen. You had a question. I, I felt like. Um, did you want to ask
2: it before we wrap? It was kind of a, uh, a little ways back there, but the, I understand that putting anti-racism into the curriculum is crucial as we move forward. But I was wondering that: Is there anything that exists in the curriculum right now? that creates an implicit bias? Or do you think that very often it comes from, very often the people that can make it through medical school may have a privilege that is associated with, you know, being from an affluent affluent family, heavily white. Like, is there something that exists in the curriculum already that pushes implicit bias? Or is it, yeah, how does-
4: Plenty, plenty. Stephen? the whole curriculum is so racist. Right, like you have a dermatology rotation, students go through blocks. There's no skin of color to, to know what rosacea looks like, to know what different rashes and infections look like. All the skin is white skin. We don't know what this, how this looks on melanated skin right? So the curriculum is just so whitewashed. The cases that they use are so racist. You got the mother on welfare with three kids, high school dropout, pre-diabetic, 500 pounds, like it's, it's every stereotype exacerbated. The cases are racist. The um the the um visuals are racist. The instructors themselves are racist. Um, what else? I told you guys about the algorithms. That's only one. The vaginal one I mentioned earlier. That's only one algorithm. There's plenty built in. There's one on the um kidney filtration. Racist. Like all these, the 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 field is so racist that it's it's just baked in, right? From the curriculum to the instructors to the Mm -hmm. examples. Visuals to the case studies, and so now I do have to give a shout out to our anti-racism task force, which is a group of students at Tufts that are kicking ass. They're like, we not learning this racist garbage no more. They are holding everybody shook because the students are just to- like, what is this? What is this? Why are we teaching this? What is this? Is all racist? Scrap that. Love it. Right. Do it for Black Lives. I got to give a shout out to White Coast for Black Lives, a student-led group of medical students nationally. And I got to give a shout out to the anti-racist because they're changing the curriculum from the inside out. Our students are like, we're not going to learn this garbage no more. I'm not going to practice medicine. Love
1: this. So love saying, this. Yeah. I love. So, and, and what people often forget is like systemic racism just generally through America, America, you know, people wonder why, some people wonder why systems need to be changed, right? And it's, you know, well, it's worked for, Our forefathers, they create. But the thing that people need to remember is that this was built for white people, wasn't built with anyone else in mind. And the medical field is the same way. Their black bodies were experimented, tortured, worked on, tested to treat white people, not for the not for our care. It was like, okay, well, these are we're going to use these guinea pigs to figure out how to treat ourselves. So when you ask if there's racism in the education of medicine, the field of medicine is just racism.
4: Racism. Absolutely. Yeah. This was <laughs> a... Yeah, Paige, I'd like to give you a minute. You haven't said much. What, what, what happened? <laughs> oh, Paige, yes. So yes. I oh, yeah. You said anything. You get in here. <laughs>
3: Just been listening, ingesting everything, echoing everything that's been said so far. Yeah. I think that's like also the beauty of Mother Lab is that like we've created a space for young Black professionals. Like, I mean, obviously the lab is extremely multiracial, but I think like specifically there's been like a place for Black students who are undergrad, graduate, medical, like at all levels for us to like have a place to kind of come into the medical field and like learn and grow and also be mentored by other Mm -hmm. people who are doing this work and have like led the path especially like Dr. Ao I think like she's just been like such an important part of my career journey and also like my college journey and like understanding like what I want to do like as a future black physician like I don't know I just like it's such a beautiful space to be in like knowing that like everyone around me is like so passionate about eradicating these issues I don't know, just. Beautiful place. Can't it's
1: me. like medical Wakanda. I love it.
3: Hey! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good We're changing that. That's the name.
1: Medical, medical Wakanda. I love that. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> oh my goodness! You ladies have been absolutely phenomenal. Seriously, I we if, if you don't mind i would love to revisit this conversation next month i want to have you guys i want to amplify the this this cause yeah. as much and as many this is so incredibly important so important mm-hmm. so important can um Paige, thank you for your final thoughts shabuka yeah, I and
3: one, last one yeah, yeah, yeah please. Black maternal, uh, dr ayo put it in the chat but i want to plug the black maternal health conference this friday um, please register. The Eventbrite link is in our website. It's in the link tree on all of our social medias. Please come out and re- learn about like the role of doula care within uh, Black maternal health.
1: I love it. Hey, Jared, can you throw that in the Twitch chat too? So, I've been tossing
2: everything in the
1: Twitter. Oh, you, you have? Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. Can you guys go ahead and give your final thoughts, please? And then we'll get to, to the doctor and to the sister that sister bitch oh yeah yeah. oh now everyone now everyone has seen the real you ladies and gentlemen that was the real ray (laughs) He's a foul-mouthed hula master (laughs) that calls me the b word all the time you guys know i don't swear okay um (laughs) shabucha can you can you um do your final thoughts please Subecha, yes. That's what I said. I feel like Stephen. Wow, you said it completely wrong. I've been trying to correct you the whole day. Subecha.
5: I know it. It looks harder. Like the spelling is so much harder than it is pronounced. But it's just Um, Subecha. I would just like to echo what Paige said. I really just love how Mother Lab is a space where we're promoting a message that is basically inherent in the system that we live in like this system this world is made for people who don't look like us look look like um black women black and brown women and so uplifting the people who are basically oppressed at the most allows everyone else to rise like supporting mother lab is something that is so dear to me because i know like helping someone who doesn't look like me is also helping myself because I'm giving power to someone who like, we're, we're all connected in this world. And I feel like mother lab is a space where everyone can contribute their voice. And we, unlike other places, don't say, you can't help our, our, our um, message because you look like this. Um, Because we know that everyone has their position to support and, we we're only like months old we're not even a year old and we've done so much like we've i i can't even express in words how proud i am of everyone we all work so hard and like the first couple months of this was just our time like we're all students we're all like working um jobs we're all academic people and so dedicating our time to this um organization is like just so I feel so honored to be a part of it and so happy to be working with everyone. That's that's my closing. And thank you thank for you. having me on um uh the nonprofits. I really just love the name. I was like nonprofits.
1: <laughs> Shut your face, Betcha. That was fantastic. <laughs> thank you so much. Iman, can you give your I said your name perfectly like I did originally the first time. Um <laughs> Iman. <laughs> <laughs> your
3: final
6: thoughts? For me. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I just wanted to say the importance of advocating, talking about it, getting it acknowledged. I think joining this lab is honestly the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, I finally can give. I can finally be the voice to help, just to help save Black mothers. Um, I'm uh, not from here. I didn't know. I didn't know that much. But I think in the span of one year, basically since the start of the pandemic, I've I never thought I'd have such a great learning curve. And I think if I can have that, everyone can have that. And um just a shout out to our Black Maternal Health Conference, even if you can't find the link, it's one it's one of a kind. It's the fourth annual one. Literally just type it in, you will find it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, Iman. Um, right. Sister from the same mister, Ray <laughs> Freeman. <laughs> so I Get it? Because it's both of our dad's sperm. It was the same sperm that made us both. Get it? Did you get it? I get it. You get it? Okay. Um, right.
0: I am so inspired by all of you women, by Mother Lab. Mm. It, I want to make it my mission to know as much as possible so that I can share. Because I'm always like proselytizing about this
1: yoga this aka and everybody business go ahead yeah so
0: but like i always have a like cause or something that i'm championing at you know
1: whatever be it something i'm eating aka trying to make people bend to her will go ahead
0: (laughs) yes and i want people i want (laughs) people to know i don't want another black woman to die on our watch like i feel very strongly she don't
1: want people taking attention away from what's going on with her go ahead (laughs) I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you out.
0: Um, so I, I really, really, really want to invest a lot of time in like, learning mm. as much as I can, but also being able to speak um, confidently and appropriately about this subject.
1: Because so, she loves the sound of her own voice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I love you, Ray.
0: Oh. out and you're all that matters because oh you're a white man, so you
2: know yeah. if there's, if there's one thing why did pulled, he like, say that he uh, loves me we pulled away from this conversation is that i'm i'm all that matters
3: yeah. <laughs>
0: right 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 but that being said listen i love the work that you're doing i'm so honored to be able to support mm-hmm. in any way that i can like i will tell everybody about all of this information and I do really want to get with you, um, doctor, is it O.A., is that what you guys call her, Dr. Hey, O.A.? Dr. O.A., yeah. and really just so that I'm properly informed so then I can share at every opportunity that I get because I respect so much what you're doing and I literally just want to be a part of it, <laughs> so. Thank you, Ray, it's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Okay, um, what do you have to say?
6: I was, I was, no, no, I was, what, <laughs> okay, what
1: happened?
0: Hey, go ahead. No, I was I trying to be quiet. Was...
1: <laughs> You're such a bitch. I was trying to... <laughs> I was try... oh, d- oh, my God. Did I... Ooh, did I say it out loud or think it? I thought in I thought it. In front
0: of Dr. O.A.,
1: you should be shit. I thought I, I thought I thunk it. I didn't think it? Crap. Um, no, I, I I was trying to be quiet so you could wrap up and be serious in the wrap-up, but it was so much fun to troll you during your speech. That was very <laughs> fun, and I, I apologize for nothing, and I executed it perfectly like I did everyone's names. Okay, yeah. the... <laughs> Dr. Ndidi, can you please um, give us your final thoughts? Tell us all of the stuff, like any tips. This is what I would love for you to give in, in addition to your final thoughts. If someone, if I'm going to the, to the doctors, what should I advocate for? What can, where can, when can I advocate for myself? When do I have power? That's my
4: question. At every step of the process. You have power at every step of the process, right? And I I really think about the experience as a holistic one. When you walk into the reception or of the of the um, hospital, how are you f- received, right? If you're going to your mm-hmm. um, provider, how are you received? Um, you know, what's the wait time? What is the energy of the medical assistant, the nursing staff mm-hmm. provided themselves? How much time do they spend to the visit? Did you feel rushed? Did you get your questions answered? What was the energy like? And in every step of the game, you can advocate for yourself. Some of the considerations that you should be getting data on are regularly and most of these hospitals have like patient gateway or my chart or something where you can look at your patient records and you should be accessing that and seeing what the notes are, seeing what people are mm, saying. You can yes, do that. Yes, you should be doing that after every visit. Patient Please gateway. repeat
1: that so everyone can hear that again. Please yeah. say that again.
4: Mm-hmm. So after every visit or clinical encounter, they have to put notes into the system, which you as a patient have access to. So most hospitals either use MyChart or Patient gave You should be able to get your full medical history. And if it's not there, you can request it and say, hey, I had a visit on March 5th. I'm looking in my chart, there's nothing there. Where are my records? I'd like to see a copy of it. Because you want to see how they're characterizing yeah. you, the family of the visit was right so that's one thing you can do you can advocate for yourself at every part of the encounter advocate uh-huh. yourself through the review of your medical records and then trust your gut and then actually i always say take somebody with you because you are a patient in that moment and you should be allowed to just be a patient you don't have to be a patient and process and ask the questions and do the follow-up so if that's you good. can put somebody on the facetime bring somebody with you you mm-hmm. know and just make sure that you have that support that you need um and so the only other thing i would say is that You know, for me, this work is just, it, it's it's a legacy. I do it unapologetically because I know the work that needs to be done. And I feel like I'm the chosen one, right? Like, I've been through, like you said earlier, Frankie, so much to get to this space. Mm-hmm. And it just would be such a disservice to get to this level of success. I'm like, I'm going to just go sit down, make my money, and mind my business. Like, I didn't right. come to to do that. I came to disrupt. And hey, I, Come now. <laughs> through with the word. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So, um, you know, this, this Black Maternal Health Conference, I remember the first year we did it people like oh if you get 50 people you should consider that success i'm like yeah i don't know me the huh. first year we had 286 people the second year we had 368 the third year was covid we did it online we had about 200 this year we're gonna break a thousand people easy yeah. Right, because why are people flocking to what we have to say? First of all, the only people that speak at my conference are Black women. I just got to own that. Like, we cannot have a conference on Black maternal disparities, and I got people up here that don't know ah. Black experience and Black trauma talking about. I just can't do it. White people have space in every part of the world. You can't get space on this stage for the Black maternal <laughs> health conference. I can't do that, right? And so I need I, I intentionally curate a space of safety. For black and brown women to come and lay your burdens down right we're gonna do prenatal yoga on friday yes. you know we got the breakout sessions we have networking and you have good content from clinical leaders medical experts and every doulas midwives everybody so For me, the work that needs to be done is part of a legacy. And this is just the beginning, right? We're in a process. So Mother Lab is a research activist lab. I also do research in this space. I do advocacy. The next step is to get a hub. So anybody that's listening, we need a center for Black maternal health that's going to be housed at Tufts. The center is going to encompass the research, the scientific findings. And this is part of our Mother Lab mission and goals. We went through strategic planning just like any other organization. What do we want to accomplish, y'all? We want to be the largest maternal health equity lab in the country. Mm. I don't know any other professor that's managing 35 students. This is not, they're not even in my students that I teach in my class. This is just my babies in the lab. I still got a whole other list of advisees. I got students that I teach. I got all my other professorial responsibilities. I don't know anybody that's taken on 35 students from undergrad to MD, PhD, nursing, social work, everybody. Right. So we already position ourselves as the largest research lab in the country. If you need cutting edge research, you come here. If you need policy, you come here. Community engagement, you come here. Right. A safe space for black and brown women, you come here. So that is the goal. And the next steps for me is to push to create a center for Black maternal health. That's community engaged, being mm. of service to our local community. Again, taking the resources of an academic institution, putting them in the hands of the experts, which is Black women lived experience in the community, right? Church. Community engagement, advocacy and policy, and research and training. These young ladies are going to go into the world. And what, is, what do I say in our meetings, y'all? My job is to tighten and sharpen. And I say it all the time, you, this is a training ground. This is not fun. <laughs> this hey, come fun. on now. Right. This is tightening and sharpening because so when you come out of mother lab, right, you should be able to go do anything. You should be able to go to medical school, grad school, go into the work field. You know how to advocate. You know what to look right. for. And you're unapologetic about your brilliance and your expertise. That's what we do here. So yep. thank you for hey, having me on. Happy to come back anytime.
1: First of all, um, I, love doctor. You.
0: I, I love you, doctor.
1: I love you too, right? I, I, I do. You. I love
0: all of you. I love all, I love all of you. Oh, wait, I love you too, doctor. Do
1: you love, I love you too, doctor. I, I love you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Yeah. Boom. In your face, right? She loves me too. seeing in your face. Uh, <laughs> so I, just so you know, you had me at lay your burdens down. Anyone else? That's where. Sharpen. That that's where I was like, you've got me forever. Okay, we gotta get out of here. We have another show in seven minutes. But this was phenomenal. And one mm-hmm. thing I wanna leave everyone with, be rude, it could save your life. And what I mean by that is if you don't if the vibe doesn't feel right, walk out. Don't worry about hurting anybody's feelings. Who cares? Okay. Advocate for yourself, speak up. Yeah. Be rude yeah. and save your own life. Yeah. I've been Frankie French. Thank you guys, Mother Lab. Thank you, Team Tiki, all of our guests. We appreciate you. Follow at the Nonprofits Pod and you can follow all of these wonderful people back. Thank you, Jared and Comedy Hub. That's Stephen Campbell. This is the Nonprofits. Woohoo! Hey.
3: <laughs> Thank Everybody. you.